Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. This teaching is from the series Life Hacks. This series looks at helpful strategies from the book of Proverbs to help us live life well now and to prepare us for eternity. We're um, going to be continuing our series on Life Hacks. I again want to really thank Simeon for uh, preaching last week. Again, I got a lot of good feedback, some before I even got back here to, uh, uh, to work, and then I got to watch it on Monday, and it was really good. So I'm, I appreciate that we've got uh, other men that can really teach the Scripture. Uh, it enables me to be able to go off and relax. Uh, so, but we're going to be jumping back into our Life Hack series today. We're going to be looking at Proverbs chapter 25, verse 16. It's there in uh, the little booklet. And you can also look along on the Scripture, and all the Scriptures I'll be using will be up here on the screen today. We'll be bringing in a number of them from Proverbs and other places. So Proverbs chapter 25, verse 16. Hear now the word of the living God. If you find honey, eat just enough. Too much of it, and you will vomit. Now, I'm going to come back to me having just been on a cruise. This is a rather ironic text, I realize. Uh, and we saw this uh, in action last week. But what I'm really wanting to use this text to talk about today is this idea. How many of you have ever heard the phrase in our culture, no limits? There's no limits. You ever done it? If, you, if you Google that phrase, you'll get all kinds of pictures. Uh, in fact, here's one that's up here that I saw. Keep calm. There are no limits. Uh, people like to say that a lot. Uh, there's another one from a person who called themselves Kushan Wisdom, and they can't spell wisdom correct. If you can go to the next screen, Beth. says, the only limits in your life are the ones you create with your mind. Uh, that's Kushan Wisdom with a Z. I'm not sure what kind of wisdom it is. We're going to see it's not wisdom from God. There are all kinds of limits in your life that you do not create with your mind. If you don't believe that, I invite you to step off of a very tall cliff and discover there are limits in your life as to what you can do. But according to this person, the only limits are ones you make up. Now, sometimes this kind of phrase is used to encourage us. Keep, keep moving. Keep working. You can do more than you think you can do. Uh, and there is some truth in that. I even discovered as I was Googling this the other day, there is a church that their name is No Limits Church. I'm willing to bet there probably are limits in that congregation and everywhere else, but that was their name. But the real idea behind this most often in our culture comes up with this last uh, little meme off of the internet, which is no rules, no limits. See, the idea behind it is not just that there's no limits, it means I can do whatever it is that I want to do. If I decide I want to do it, I can do it, and no one and no thing can tell me anything otherwise. That's the real philosophy that is going on behind this. But I want to do a little bit of wordplay because what I'm calling it today is not no limits like this, but no limits with a K, K-N-O-W. Because if you want to be wise and you want a life hack, here's a good one. You better know what your limits are because there are limits. God has put them into creation and wisdom is not ignoring that. Wisdom is recognizing, embracing, and actually loving that. And we will see why over the next few minutes. So let's dive in and talk about the importance of limits. Now notice here in Proverbs 25, 16, it's telling us that there is a wise limit. He tells us, if you find honey, how much should you eat? Just enough. Now he's going to come back to why in a few minutes, but notice he says, eat just enough honey. Don't go overboard because if you do, there's going to be trouble. Now, let me be clear. This is not a saying, don't eat honey. That's not the point of the scripture. In fact, another proverb tells us that honey is good. In Proverbs 24, 13, we're told, Eat honey, my son, for it is good. Honey from the comb is sweet to the taste. It tastes good. It's good for you. And this idea in Proverbs, Proverbs is not saying 
don't have any honey. It's not saying don't do anything. It's saying don't overindulge even in something that is good, even in something that is lawful. And this is true in many areas. The problem is not the item or activity itself, but rather in rejecting the limits that God has built into the fabric of the universe and to our very nature. I'm going to keep coming back to this. The reason limits are important and good is you were made for them. And if you reject them, you're actually working against yourself. And you're preventing yourself from flourishing the way that God intends. And so the goal here is neither hedonism nor asceticism. That's two old words. What they mean is hedonism is if it feels good, just keep doing it as long as you want. All that matters is pleasure. So when you find honey, just keep eating, 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 and eating. Asceticism says, no, that's dangerous, so don't eat any honey at all. On the other extreme, those are both ditches that Proverbs says that's not wisdom. That's not the way God has designed the world. When you find honey, eat it, but eat just enough. Now, the reason behind this is we're warned that there are dire consequences if we reject limits. So notice in Proverbs 25, 16, if you find honey, eat just enough, too much of it, and what? You're going to vomit. Honey's good, too much honey is sickening. Now, I remember when I was a young kid, uh, I went off on a camping trip with the Cub Scouts. And so my dad went with me, and it was my first time out camping, and we were out, and we did that time-honored tradition of getting sticks and sticking marshmallows on them and roasting the marshmallows. And, oh, they were so good, and I enjoyed them. And I downed several of them, and my dad said, Son, you might want to slow down on those. I was like, oh, no, Dad, these are good. And so I kept eating more and more of these marshmallows. And my dad was like, too much of this and you might get sick. No, Dad, this is not a problem. Until like midnight when I woke up and it was raining outside and I fulfilled Proverbs 25, 16. I threw up all over the tent. And so what we learn from that is poor parenting. My father should not. I'm going to hear about this later because he's watching this probably right now on Facebook Live. So, so, see, he should have stopped me from eating those extra marshmallows, right? He should have quoted this proverb to me and let me know what was in my future. We just went last week. See, that's, it's one thing when you do that and you're like, you know, seven or eight years old, whatever I was. But we went last week and you know, we're given as a culture to overindulging. If you don't believe that, go on a cruise ship like we did last week. It is, it is overindulgence afloat. I mean, it is everywhere. They've got those free ice cream machines, right? So you could have caught Linda and I walking around sometimes with two of them. And if I could have had a third hand, there would have been a third one in there, right? And there were one or two nights where they had just decadent dessert after the meal. But fortunately, having had the marshmallow story, I just said, I'm done. I can't eat anymore. If I eat anymore... This is going to go from pleasurable to something very other than pleasure, and so I'm not doing any more. But there were some people on the cruise ship sitting in front of a slot machine with a cigarette hanging out and a drink and like an ice cream cone. I'm like, you are overindulging in everything known to man. Like right here in one spot, you're going to get it all, right? But isn't that the way our culture is? See, our culture tells you, man, if two spoonfuls of honey is good... Well, four tablespoons full is double good. And eight, well, we're really getting into good territory now. Our culture encourages going to extremes in virtually any area you can think of. But see, rejecting God-ordained limits does not lead to joy and fulfillment, but rather sickness and sorrow. In the case of honey, literal sickness and sorrow. In the case of other things that God has built, even good things... It leads to problems in our life. And ultimately what happens as well is if you reject limits, if we give up these things, we lose self-control and we become hardwired for self-destruction. Over time, you develop a habit so what initially seemed like overindulgence no longer even gives you pleasure like it once did. You just have to have it and you have to keep feeding it. Proverbs 25, 28 says... 
Like a city whose walls are broken down is a man who lacks self-control. Now notice what the proverb is saying. In the ancient world, how were cities protected? You have walls. Because the, the enemy would try to advance, but the wall kept the bad guys out and the good guys in. But the problem is, if you have no walls, what happens? You're in trouble. There is no defense. You're going to get overrun. And Proverbs says, a person who has no self-control, who cannot recognize limits and live within them, that person has no way to protect themselves. They're simply given over. But the flip side of that is the Apostle Paul tells us that if we embrace God-ordained limits and we practice self-control, we become like a trained Olympian who's able to run to victory. In 1 Corinthians 9, Verses 25 to 27, in the middle of a long discussion actually on food and what kinds of food and drink are, are available to us as Christians, he says, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. They got one of those little laurel crowns made out of a plant. Uh, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. If you think about it, the Apostle Paul uses athletic and military metaphors a lot. And the reason he does this is he's saying, look, the Christian life is like that. It's a form of training. It means if you're going to go into training as an athlete, how many of you realize that a week or two before the Olympics, you would not find an Olympian out on a cruise ship standing at the ice cream machine, right? And that, that's no way to train. And what he would say, Paul would say, you're not going to win the prize if you do that. You've, in fact, disqualified yourself for the prize because you didn't follow training. And Paul's saying, we Christians can do the same thing. And the way we do that is by not recognizing limits. That's his whole point in 1 Corinthians 8 to 10. It's not that something's bad in and of itself, but Paul says there's a time and there's a place. And if you can't say no, this thing has gone from being good to being idolatrous, from being freedom to being slavery. And so, this is a very important point for us. Now, how do we do this? The, the life hack, as we're calling them. How do we know what limits are? How do we work this out? Well, I'm going to give four of them this morning that arise from Proverbs and other places in Scripture that are really practical and fit into our lives. The first one is we have to know and love limits in eating and drinking. Now, I picked this one because it's right there in this text. Quite literally, Proverbs 25, 16 is about eating. If you find honey, eat just enough. If you eat too much, you're going to make yourself sick. So it quite literally is warning us of overindulging with food or the root vice that we talked about last year, for those who've been around for a year, the root vice of gluttony. And you remember, oddly enough, when the ancient fathers picked seven root vices that they said everything else grew out of, one of them is gluttony, which sounds strange to us, but they're making an observation that has proven to be true, which is if I can't control this very basic physical desire, that tends to lead me to lack in self-control in other areas. And the reality is this is a great one to practice self-control because how often do we eat? Every day. Can you and I just say, I'm going to skip the eating thing? See, there are other stuff we could just say, I'll never do again. But you're going to have to eat, and you're going to have to drink, and you have to drink even more often than you eat. And so this is one that the early father said, you know what? If you practice self-control here, if you let the Holy Spirit work in you here, that feeds into other areas because you're so constantly practicing it. But if you lose control here, if you just keep eating the honey till you get sick, it tends to lead into other areas. The same thing is true in the Scripture regarding the drinking of alcohol. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, the Apostle Paul says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Notice Paul does not say, don't drink wine. Because the Scripture is replete with examples and even commands in the Old Testament that we were to be involved with drinking alcohol. But you may not ever get drunk. It is never acceptable. Paul says there's two ways. There's a spirit-filled way, and then there's this way. 
and this way is one of alcoholism. So the problem's not food or alcohol, it's overindulgence, reject, rejecting any sense of limits, just like it was with honey. Now, if you think about it in Scripture, you can look in Hebrews chapter 12, this is how Esau gave up his birthright. You remember, he comes back from hunting, and he's got the birthright. He's got the covenant that God Almighty made with his grandfather Abraham. And he comes back, and he says, oh, I am starving. Is he literally starving to death? I mean, Esau's like, if I don't get some food, it's over. It's not over. But Jacob, stirring the pot, says, doesn't that smell good? All you got to do is give me the birthright. And what does Esau say? Oh, whatever. I just got to have some of that stew. That has got to be one of the dumbest decisions in the history of humanity. I mean, covenant with God Almighty, some stew that I wouldn't even want. It was like lentil stew or something. I don't know what he was thinking. Okay, but Esau is an example of that. And if you look around at our culture, it is rife with gluttony, alcoholism, drug use. Like a city whose walls are broken down, many of us cannot control our impulses in these areas. And what happens is we're just open to all kinds of trouble. Now, I'm going to keep coming back and pointing these things because here's what we're doing and here's why gluttony in particular was a root vice. Because what we're trying to do is fill a spiritual hunger that you and I have with physical food. And you can't ever do that. No matter how much you put in, you can be throwing up, and then we keep doing more. You know, there's the rumors, I don't know, you, you hear on both sides, but supposedly at some points the Romans would have their, their, their big feast, and they would eat so much, what would they do to make room for more? Finger down the throat so I can, get, so I can just eat some more, okay? But you know what? Our culture doesn't seem to be very far off of that. We, we, we've lost any sense of self-control in this area. And the problem is, there is a spiritual hunger. And if you are not looking to God to fill that spiritual hunger, you start trying to eat and drink your way out of it. And it'll never work. Second area that comes up, the Proverbs tell us, is we have to know and love limits in leisure and pleasure. Let me say as I'm jumping in, is notice I'm using the phrase know and love limits. If all you do is recognize them but despise them, you're on the short path to giving in. you got to love that the limit is there because you know it's for your good. So here's one with leisure and pleasure. In Proverbs 20, verse 13, Do not love sleep or you will grow poor. Stay awake and you will have food to spare. Proverbs 21, 17. He who loves pleasure will become poor. Whoever loves wine and oil will never be rich. Do we need to sleep? Yes. And is there anything wrong with wine and oil? No, they were a sign in the Old Testament when this was written, they're the sign of God's blessing. But what he says, notice, but if you love them, if you are given over to them, then what's going to happen is you're not going to prosper. And so he tells us what happens is if you reject these limits, you become lazy hedonists. The only thing you've got energy for is running off and finding more pleasure. And the end result of this, there's another proverb I won't put up, but it actually says, the lazy man so lazy, he puts his hand down into the dish and he can't even get, the, get it up to his mouth to put the food in. I mean, that's a pitiful picture right there. But they say that's the end result of where this heads. Now, let me be clear here. I've used the phrase uh, that it, leisure and pleasure. There's a lot of ways in our culture to do leisure and pleasure outside of sleeping too much or wine and oil. We've got things like, if this proverb were written today, it might say, those who like entertainment, those who like uh, social media, those who like sports, those who like surfing the web, those, those who are devoted to those things, you're going to find yourself not able to prosper. Now, I like, I like sports, uh, but there has to be a limit. There has to be an ability to be able to say 
no, or else we're going to get ourselves in trouble. In moderation, all of these things are acceptable forms of relaxation. But if they're unchecked, if we say no limits, baby, no limits, then what happens is they become a time-wasting hole that prevents you from filling your God-given vocations. So if you ever notice, very often when I got something that I know I ought to be doing, how tempting does it become to pull out my phone and just check out Facebook for a little while? I'm just going to surf the web. I'm just going to click on the TV and channel surf and see what's there. See, and what it's becoming actually is a way to avoid what I know I ought to be doing, the vocation that God has given me to fulfill. And so a lazy person or a hedonist is never going to be able to truly prosper because they're always going to consume more than they're able to produce, and they're going to prefer idle pursuits rather than God-given vocations. When we were uh, younger, one of the things that Linda and I actually did, and I just realized because I wanted to make sure this was not going to be an issue, we turned the TV off. When we went to bed Sunday night, it was off until our kids got home from school on Friday. Not because TV was inherently evil, but because I said, you know what? Not going to be competition here. We're going to be doing family devotions. We're going to spend time in conversation. We're going to take walks. We're going to go out and shoot basketball. We're not going to sit here and do that. And so we just put strict rules on that. And maybe because I'm just weak and I'm the kind of idiot that would keep eating roasted marshmallows until I got sick. But you know what? Better to put the rules than to give in because it can get in the way of what's going on. Ecclesiastes, and I'm going to come back and show a few verses later, is full of the emptiness of this pursuit. Ecclesiastes is a guy saying, I gave myself over to laziness and pleasure, and I'm going to give you 14 cha- I mean, 12 chapters of explaining to you what that is like and why it does not work. And so this lack here, what it does, and, and notice what I'm saying, when, when it talks about prosperity, that's a lot more than just money. Can your marriage prosper if you would rather surf the web than fulfill your vocation as a husband or a wife? Can your family prosper? Can you prosper in your work or your education or your spiritual life? If I'm given to taking the path of least resistance, there are so many options today. It's so much easier than ever before. I mean, if you're a little bit older like me, you you remember when you were a kid, how long did it take to channel surf? Like five seconds, right? Click, click, click. Okay, nothing on. (laughs) Although my dad said when they first got TV, they used to watch the test pattern, right? Is that not a sad thing? We just sit there and look at the test pattern. But, But you know why we do that? Because I know there are things I should be doing, and a test pattern looks exciting right now, rather than doing that. This actually gets back to the root vice of sloth. Now, And so what we're doing is I'm replacing a vocation. God has given you many vocations in your life, and he's given me many in my life. And we find joy and fulfillment in doing those vocations. But it is so easy to replace the vocation with idle pursuits. Because the idle pursuit requires so little when I first go into it. Now, it gives nothing back. But it's made the bar so low, it's easy to do. Third area for limits is we have to know and love limits in work and wealth. This is the opposite, but Proverbs warns us in both. Proverbs 23, 4, and 5 says, Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Have the wisdom to show restraint. Cast but a glance at riches, and they are gone, for they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. I memorized verse 4 when I was a midshipman, not because I was in danger of becoming wealthy when they were paying me a robust 50 bucks a month. But because I watched other guys who said, literally, I'll have time to really develop my spiritual life later, but I've got to study so much right now, I don't have time to gather with the church. I don't have time to get together with other guys for Bible study or prayer. Horrible decision. That's a life that is getting ready to careen off into the ditch. Have the wisdom to show restraint. There are limits in what we do with this. And this limit is the the opposite of the previous one. So some people aren't lazy hedonists, but they're greedy workaholics. And this is as much of a trap as the first one. Okay, they're they're just the opposite 
ditch. And so we don't wear ourselves out to get rich. We don't let ourselves become consumed by work and wealth that when we postpone what God says is most important. And that includes, number one, walking with God, but it also includes even family. And let me be clear on, on what I mean by this. When I was young and we had four young kids at home, and I am so grateful that Donnie and Tommy held me to this, I want you to know this church did not take priority over my family. Simply did not. And it would have been sinful for me to let it do that. And I take what I do very seriously, but not to the point of consuming and watching my children's lives be destroyed. I had the wisdom to show restraint. Do we do that in whatever other vocations God has given us? And notice, this is one of the reasons that God's given us the gift of Sabbath. A day where we do no work, we curb our desires, and we rest in God's sufficient provision for us. Think about that in the Old Testament. Every seven days it rolled around. Every, they had them every month. They had certain festivals throughout the year they had to do. Every seven years you had a year off, and then every 50th year it was two in a row off, so you had the year of Jubilee. God was telling them over and over and over again, you're going to stop, because the, the danger on this side is the universe will not keep spinning if I don't keep working. But what that says is, who's my source? Me. But friend, you're not your source. And I'm not my source. God is my sufficient source. And so Paul warns us that those who walk this path will pierce themselves with many griefs. They will cultivate all kinds of evil. And he said some people even end up wandering away from the faith. That's in 1 Timothy chapter 6. I mean, that's a... If I told you, come engage in this activity because here's the end result. You're going to pierce yourself with all kinds of grief. You're going to unleash untold evil in your life, and you might even wander away from the faith. Who would be lining up for that? But see, Paul says, warn people, this is what happens when you're given over to work and to wealth and make that your God. And so what we're doing when we do this, and we're going to come back and see this with all of them, I'm replacing my identity with work. And so is this a problem in our culture sometimes? We identify who I am by what I do. But see, I'm not Brett Hicks, pastor. I am a pastor. I'm Brett Hicks, child of the living God. That's who I am. And I have many vocations, but none of them define me. And see, the problem is, if my identity becomes, even doing what I do, being a pastor, what happens if I lose that tomorrow? What happens to my identity now? It's gone. It's gone. But see, my identity hasn't changed because my identity is found in Christ. Last area, and we'll, uh, we're going to look at some roots a little bit. We have to know and love limits in sexuality. Proverbs chapter 23, verses 26 and 27 say this. My son, give me your heart and let your eyes keep to my ways. For a prostitute is a deep pit and a wayward wife is a narrow well. When, when you are out in you know, a rural area like this is kind of envisioning in, in a third world thing, what happens if you fall down into a well? What's the likely outcome? You die. You, you perish. It's like a narrow you, you get stuck down in this hole and you can't get out. Sexual immorality, Proverbs says, is falling into a deep pit or well. Escape is extremely difficult. Now, the reason I brought this one up is this is the most common limit talked about in the book of Proverbs. In fact, pretty much the first nine chapters is about this limit. That's largely what it's about. If you notice here... Uh, Beth, can you go back one screen? Notice I've written down some scriptures that you can look at. Proverbs 2, 16 to 22, all of Proverbs 5, Proverbs 6, 23 to 35, and all of Proverbs 7 are about exactly this issue. And then it's sprinkled throughout other than that, but all of it is regarding this issue. So there's no way to deal with limits in the book of Proverbs and not deal with this one because Proverbs says, Big warning sign right here. This is an area where human beings don't want to accept limits. 
And this is particularly true in our culture right now. If you want to know one of the biggest things driving no limits in our culture right now, it regards the area of sexuality. If anyone dares to suggest that certain sexual desires are wrong, you are going to be shouted down for being a hate-filled bigot. Okay? Well, there's only one response to that. That's idiotic. And yes, there is no compromise. Either I'm an idiot or the other person's an idiot, but there is no mixing these two. Okay? One is a path to blessing. One is a path to destruction. And Scripture is clear that there are strict limits on human sexuality. These include you're born male or female, regardless of how we feel, and that the only godly proper sexual desires are for the spouse of the opposite sex. And all other desires are expressions of the raging sinful nature. Now, these aren't different than a desire for me to be greedy or a desire for me to slander or a desire for me to steal something. But they are, the, I have to do the same thing with them. I can't say, well, God made me a thief, so just give me your wallet. Okay? It used to be wrong to sin, but it's not anymore. I identify as a murderer. You, you don't get to do that. Okay? These things are wrong. And the problem is they're destructive for us. I, I deal with this actually if you watch the After Hours on Tuesday. I'm really blunt about a couple of crazy articles I just happened to read last week. And these aren't minor. One was NBC News. It was actually one I found in the New York Times later. Another one came out of, I forget what the, what the periodical was. But it's insanity. There was one article that was raging against abortion, and, but it couldn't even use the term women regarding abortion. It said people are trying to put limits on uterus-having humans. Swear to God, I am not making that up. I read it to Linda a couple of times, and then I foolishly referred to her as that several times this weekend. You uterus-having human, you. Okay? Why are they saying that? Well, because you can't say in our culture that having a uterus makes you a woman. Because the other article I'd read was about a man. Well, he declares, this person declares themselves a man. They were born a woman, and they had gotten pregnant and had a child from their spouse who was born a man but now declared themselves a woman. And I'll let you work out biologically how that worked out. But it was the one saying they're a woman that's actually still a guy, impregnating the one that was a that it was a woman that says she's now a guy, and then they were declaring the doctors have got a problem because they don't realize that guys can have children. Ah, uh, because they can't. I don't have the necessary body parts, and there's no way to get them. Now, I'm not trying to make fun of this. I have compassion on people who have that because they have serious confusion in their lives. And they are running off of a cliff. So this is not go out and blast people or make fun of them. We need to pray, but we need to understand Proverbs warns us that if we embrace the lunacy of our no-limits culture regarding sexuality, it produces pain, it produces disappointment, and it's actually, Proverbs uses the phrase, it's the path to hell in this life and in eternity. Friends, it, there, there is no compromise on this. Our culture has lost its mind. Think about it in Scripture. This is what led to the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. This is what brought Samson down. He could not control in this area. And this is what got Solomon in all of his trouble. Okay? This area, over and over. I, King David, I can go over and over again the number of people that got themselves in huge trouble and the results were catastrophic. And our culture is telling you, you can do this and there'll be no results. And then counselors' offices are full of people who are finding out that is simply not true. You cannot do that way. And what we're doing when we do that, you were created for true intimacy with God. And you will not find it by sexual deviancy. We're convinced we will. We're convinced we're going to find real intimacy that way. We will not. 
Never in this life or in eternity can we do that. We're still replacing that which is good by twisting it. So now let, let me say before we come to the Lord's table, there are, there are some deceptive roots behind all of these. I could keep going. There are other areas, and maybe the Holy Spirit speaking to one in your life where you realize you're not living within limits. Here's the two things that always lead to this. Number one, no limits is false because only God has no limits. And here's a piece of news for you. You're not God, nor am I. God is unlimited. You and I are not. Can you think of, let's go way back to the beginning in the Bible. Can you think of anybody who got themselves into big trouble by believing they could be like God? Remember that? Like really early, right? Genesis 3. That's exactly what they were told. Now, we were made in the image of God, which is amazing, but they were told, no, you, you can be just like God. You can have no limits. You can determine good and evil for yourself. And then you can hear the universe crashing into death and destruction as a result. It is a lie. God has no limits. But limits are inherent to how we are created and how we flourish. You will not flourish apart from limits. The only way to flourish is knowing and loving the limits that God has put. James calls it the perfect law that gives freedom. You want freedom? Embrace the law of God. Exact opposite of what our culture tells us. The root of this no limits idea is an arrogance that we can be like God or maybe we can even exceed God. Because if you're honest in our culture, we not only think we're like God, we think we're better than God. We think we're bigger than God, that we're greater. And he has no right to tell us what to do. But see, there are characters in Scripture that do this. In Isaiah chapter 14, he's prophesying to the king of Babylon. And many scholars think that this has allusions to Satan. But listen to what he says. How you've fallen from heaven, O morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of the assembly, on the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. But you are brought down to the grave, to the depths of the pit. So notice, the, the attitude is, I can be like God. I can exalt myself. I might even get above God. But God says, here's what you do. The more you try to go up, the more you're going down. Because you were not created to do this. You are a creature. You have needs and you have limits. And notice how this attitude is in line with Genesis 3. And friends, it's repeated in every one of us. You and I might not say these exact words, but when God puts a limit and I bust right through it, what am I saying? Ah, I will. I will do what I know is best for me because wisdom begins with me. And I will do and accomplish whatever I want. No rules, no limits. It's exactly what we all fall in to do. And this is massive in our culture right now where personal autonomy, the freedom to reject any limits and to do as I please. And in fact, in our culture right now, admit it, it's not only that I'm going to do it, by God, you're going to applaud me doing it. And if you don't applaud me doing it, then we got problems. That's what we, but see, that's exactly this. I'm, going, I'm the emperor, I'm going to be naked, but you're going to tell me i got good-looking clothes on. I'm going to ascend up, and everybody's going to applaud as I do it. But see, this ends in grief. And it leads into the second reason, which is because, see, no limits. Buying into that arrogant philosophy, what it does is it leads to insatiable desires, desires that can never be satisfied. And I keep plowing further and further in, but the further I go, the less they satisfy. It's like drinking salt water. The more you drink it, the thirstier you become. And it never gets you closer to the goal, but it keeps promising it's going to slake your thirst. Ecclesiastes is full of this. I'll show you just two scriptures. In Ecclesiastes 2, 10 and 11, Solomon says, no limits. Here it is. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. 
My heart took delight in all my work, and this was the reward for all my labor. Yet when I surveyed all my hands had done, and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun. He comes back in Ecclesiastes 6, 7 and says this, All man's efforts are for his mouth, yet his appetite is never satisfied. The more I eat, the more I want to eat. That's the way that it works. And it's a huge theme in Ecclesiastes. Human desires can never be satisfied apart from God. Because you were made, the primary limit you were made with is, you were made to love and know and glorify and enjoy God. And you're not going to find it anywhere else. But what we do in all these other areas, the reason we want no limits is, it's not working yet, but if I just double down and try a little bit harder, this is eventually going to work. I'm going to get the thing I'm looking for down this path. But we're not. The path is just getting worse and worse. And so any human desire that does not ultimately end in desire for God himself becomes like an endless black hole. It just sucks everything around it, and it's just imploding on itself. And there's no life. It sucks all light, life, everything into it. And at the end of it, it's just death and destruction. And it's because we were made know, love, glorify, and enjoy God forever. And if that's what we're made for, trying to live a different way doesn't work. It just leads to futility. And so the no limits philosophy rejects not only the God-given limits, but ultimately it'll reject God himself. Because if God's the one giving those limits, then I don't want him either. And I'm going to find it in the things that I desire, my joy. And so what ends up happening then is the search for freedom ends up in slavery and the search for fulfillment ends up in futility and frustration. Always. St. Augustine in the Confessions, our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. And Augustine's Confessions, I'm rereading them right now, is the book of Ecclesiastes on steroids. It's just blown up and it's him showing every way he tried to seek pleasure apart from God and how none of it worked until he found rest in God. So we're going to apply the word and come to the table. The applying the word is going to be very brief as it's been throughout this series. I'm just going to put these four areas up that we just talked about. If you can put them up, Beth, the four areas do I know and love these limits? Eating and drinking, leisure and pleasure, work and wealth, and in regards to sexuality. And perhaps, again, I just picked four. There are many others in Scripture. Perhaps the Holy Spirit speaking to you regarding a different one. Okay? I want us to be open and hear that. And then we're going to come down to the table because Wherever the Spirit is showing me that I am rejecting limits, I can know that the root cause is those last two things I just talked about. I'm either trying to be like God or I'm trying to find my fulfillment apart from Him. That's ultimately what sin boils down to. That, that's what we're always doing one way or another. I'm just convinced if I get a little bit more of this, man, that's going to be life. But it's not. It's not going to at all. And so when we come to the table, if the Lord is showing you an area, and friends, we are all susceptible to this, everybody. This is not something like, yeah, I remember back in 1982 I had this problem. I can remember back like this morning I had this problem. Okay? If the Spirit's showing us this, we come to the table and we confess it. We are open. And we say we bought the lie I shook the tree, I plucked the fruit, I took that which was outside the limits you had given me, thinking that was life, and I discovered it was not life. It was death. I thought it was joy, I discovered it was sorrow. We confess and we turn to Him, and we confess to Him, which in the prayers I'm going to be doing this, that He's God, and we're not, and that we're okay with that. Okay, And if you remember, our salvation comes by Jesus. And what did Jesus, who actually is God, do? He did not consider equality with God. See, we're trying to claim something that's not ours. We're not willing to live within our limits. Jesus was willing to take limits upon himself that were not inherent to who he was. And that's how you and I are saved. And we receive that by embracing it.
And I want you to hear the gospel because, again, I know this is Proverbs is a lot of law, but I want you to hear the gospel. In Isaiah chapter 55, Isaiah puts it this way. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and your soul will delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me. Hear me that your soul may live. Friends, we have a table that does satisfy. And here's the good news. What does it cost? Nothing. You can't buy your way into it. It is a free gift. You can't do it by fixing these four areas. Because we always fall short. We are given this freely by Jesus Christ. And He opens up the table. And so I want to encourage you to come and eat and drink freely and find rest and fulfillment for your soul's deepest desires. The Lord opens this to you and I this morning. As always, you don't have to be a member of our congregation to participate. You do have to be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, which means you recognize that Jesus is the only hope of salvation. There is no salvation apart from Christ. We recognize He is God. We are not. We embrace openly confessing our sin and receiving His grace and mercy. If you believe that, please join with us. If you don't, you should let it pass because this, as we're going to be praying, this meal is a confession that we believe that. Taking it says, I do believe that. If you do, please join in with us. Also, as always, if you uh, have a gluten intolerance, if you raise your hand in a couple moments, we will bring uh, that to you. With that, let us come to the table, friends. For what I receive from the Lord, I pass on to you that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out so that your sins may be forgiven. Drink from this, all of you, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, we come this morning to this table admitting that we are needy, admitting that we cannot work salvation for ourselves, openly embracing the fact that we need you. Come by your Holy Spirit and meet us as we come to this table. In Jesus' name, amen. As you get the elements, uh, hold on to them. We'll take them together in a couple of moments. And I encourage you as well to let the Holy Spirit speak to you if there's an area where you've been trying to find satisfaction apart from Christ and his gospel. Lord, you are the almighty God, the only unlimited one in the universe. You are eternal, but we are temporal. You are the creator, and we are mere creatures. However, you made us in your image the greatest honor imaginable for a creature. Yet even this was not enough for our first parents, so they rebelled, rejecting your gifts and the wise limits you had set, preferring autonomy over life and blessing. This fateful choice did not bring the promised fulfillment, but only brought sorrow, pain, and death. But this morning we proclaim that the second Adam, our Lord Jesus, came and rescued us from this terrible fate. He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and was obedient to your will, even though it meant death on the cross. In taking this bread, we confess that we have followed in the footsteps of the first Adam, rejecting the limits you had set 
and thus bringing your just judgment on ourselves. But we also confess that Jesus' flesh was broken, that we might be healed. And we receive his great gift in faith today, turning from any attempt to save ourselves and trusting in him alone for salvation and life. Take and eat. Lord, you are the source of all that is good and the true fount of all joy. We confess that we have eaten at the table of this world and drank from its cup only to find that they never satisfy. The more we drink from the cup of the world, the greater our thirst becomes. But you have promised that if we drink of you, our thirst will be quenched now and forever. So we turn to you, you who are the joy of loving hearts, the fount of life and the light of men. From the best that this earth imparts, we turn unfilled now to you again. We have tasted you the living bread, and we feast upon you still. And now we drink of you the fountainhead, knowing that from this our souls will be filled. Take and drink. Holy Spirit, through you our mind has been renewed in worship and by the word, and our souls have feasted at the table of the Lord. This week, protect us from the deceits and desires of this world and form within us a love for truth and a desire for that which is good and beautiful. Empower us to walk in the path of wisdom, rejecting the increasing folly of our age. Give us the mind of Christ that we might see truly and desire rightly. Do all of this in us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together. And our benediction is uh, based on 1 Timothy 6, 15 and 16. I encourage you to receive the blessing of the Almighty God. May God, the only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and self-existent, may He bless you with the abundance of His presence and grace so that you find deep fulfillment and then may freely be a blessing to others. In Jesus' name, amen. And go forth in His peace. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. For more teachings and resources, please visit www.brcc.church.